Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you a fan of the Archives of the Bugle podcast? Good. Uh, you're, you're in the right place. If you're not, you might not enjoy this. Welcome to Top Stories. I am Andy Zaltzman. The Olympic flame is, of course, a symbol of peace and friendship, uh, unless you are a dove at the opening ceremony in Seoul in 1988. But in April 2008, ahead of the Beijing Games, the torch relay teetered on the brink of a diplomatic crisis. In Bugle issue 24, John Oliver and I were concerned for the future of this ancient tradition. Top news story this week, Olympic Flames. The relay of the Olympic torch around the globe has kick-started a new global game as each nation tries to find new and more imaginative ways to find the Olympic flame and put it out. <laughs> See, Andy, the cynics were all wrong. The Olympics can bring people together. <laughs> as you watch the scenes of chaos around the world, you find yourself thinking, we're not so different. We all want the same things. We all want to see people get into some flame-based mischief. Andy, the Olympics has brought the world closer and it hasn't even started yet. This is going to be the best and the funniest games ever. <laughs> yes, the procession of the Olympic torch around the world has provoked a series of fiasci. London proved it thoroughly merited being awarded the 2012 Games by abiding by the age-old Olympic tradition of dealing with displays of political dissent with heavy-handed incompetence. <laughs> Gordon Brown, Prime Minister, dismissed allegations that he avoided a human rights spat with China over the matter because Britain could not afford to jeopardise our economic relations with them. Of course not, he said, giggling nervously and shuffling from one foot to the other. What? Those multi-billion pound economically critical relations? No, no, nothing to do with them. Where did you get that idea from? Oh, look, a squirrel. You don't often see them at this time of year. So, whose idea was it to run the Olympic flame around the world as a symbol of hope? Well, this relay actually began as a self-glorification exercise for the 1936 Olympics in Germany. Uh-oh. That's right, that one. This was all Hitler's idea. <laughs> I tell you what, Andy, that man couldn't get anything right. <laughs> this had to be one of his very worst ideas. Did he have a single good idea in his head? I, actually, I'll take that back. He had a very good tip for scrambled eggs. <laughs> but it, it's buried in the middle of Mein Kampf, just after something pretty racist. <laughs> what was that, splash of milk, low heat? And a uh, dash of paprika. What? <laughs> God, he's a madman. He's a madman. It should have been clear then, as soon as that was published. Gordon Brown has now said that he won't attend the opening ceremony of the uh, Olympics in Beijing, uh, which prompted the leader of the Liberal Democrats, who is rumoured to be a man called Nick Clegg, to accuse the Prime Minister of a U-turn. Now, in terms of things that our politicians really don't want to be seen to be doing, U-turns are second only, really, to genocide. Absolutely. And Britain has a proud history of refusing to U-turn, which arguably reached its height at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, ironically, when the British 400-metre champion Renton Wohl uh, from Scotland was leading at the 200-metre mark, but then refused to do a U-turn around the bend for fear of appearing weak. So he sprinted straight off the end of the track, through the photographers, into the advertising hoardings, then picked himself up, carried on running in a straight line through the crowd, up and over the back of the stadium, and plummeted to his death, whilst accusing the eventual race winner, Lee Evans of the USA, of being spineless and of, quotes, caving into the demands of the track. Absolutely. And he was right. That was a victorious death. 
Now, all of this is nothing new, though, Andy. The Olympics has always been a political piñata smashed around to reveal its sweet treats. It has uh, long been the target for political boycotts. In fact, the Barcelona Games of 1992 were the first to be boycott-free since the Rome Games of 1960. Uh, Clearly, no countries were big objectors to bullfighting or donkeys being thrown off churches. (laughs) And... Full boycotts for nations began in 1908 at the, uh, well, hold on, this can't be right. London Games. What? What have we ever done to anybody, Andy? Who had a grievance with us then? Oh, I see. It was the Irish athletes, angry at Britain's refusal to grant independence. Luckily, that was all sorted out quickly afterwards, and there have been absolutely no problems whatsoever since then. And even the US team staged a protest against us during those games when the captain of the American team uh, refused to dip the Stars and Stripes to King Edward VII at the opening ceremony, saying, This flag dips to no earthly king. And uh, this tradition continues to this day and is actually set to be quite an interesting little side story when we host the games in London in 2012. Dip your flag to the Queen, Yankees. Dip it. It's interesting on the subject of boycotts, John. At a vigil in San Francisco... Uh, coinciding with the uh, Olympic torch protest. The 1984 Nobel Peace Champion and gold medal winner in the 1986 Albert Schweitzer Humanitarianism Competition, the fully qualified Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he urged world leaders not to go to the Games in Beijing, and he said, for God's sake, for the sake of our children, for the sake of their children, and for the sake of the beautiful people of Tibet, don't go. Which strikes me as being slightly unfair on those Tibetans who aren't beautiful. (laughs) It's almost as if the press can only get an angle on it if there's Totti involved. (laughs) Tutu continued... Tell your counterparts in Beijing that you wanted to come, but looked at your schedule and realised that you have something else to do. (laughs) Now that is really taking the hardest possible line on human rights. (laughs) Confronting it head on. Dear Mr Wen, thanks very much for my invitation to your games. Unfortunately, I'm mending my unicycle that day, and my wife has got a crochet class, and we've got cabinet yoga in the afternoon, so I can't make it. Love, Gordon Brown. P.S. I think I've made my point. But I think, John, perhaps this is what really happened at Moscow in 1980. The Americans didn't boycott the games. They simply remembered that they were supposed to be helping Jeff move a chest of drawers into his daughter's room. And in 1984, the Eastern Bloc countries didn't boycott the L.A. games in a tit-for-tat reprisal. It was simply that they couldn't come because their grandmother had died. Honestly. Again. Did uh, did Archbishop Tutu provide any other ready-made excuses for people? He didn't say, but I think it's it's a kind of a classic British response to an awkward situation. Is not to confront it head-on and accuse the Chinese of appalling human rights abuses, but just to make up an awkward excuse and smile politely and shuffle off. So I think Tutu isn't really an honorary Brit. South Africa have been banned for the longest due to that uh, being extremely racist incident. You know, that little apartheid blip which lasted 46 years. But maybe this is Britain's best chance for medals in 2012, Andy. We need to act in a way which will antagonise so many countries and cause such widespread boycotts that we'll be left competing just against ourselves and maybe the Swiss. Well, I think we're doing pretty well at that, aren't we? Yeah. If only we'd kept Tony Blair, I think we might even be on course for that. So the Olympic torch is still on its way on this uh, 85,000 mile journey. And, uh, I mean, what have we had so far? Well, in Britain, we tried attacking children's TV presenters and tried to put it out with a fire extinguisher. In France, they outmaneuvered policemen on rollerblades and managed to put it out three times before it was carted away on a bus. And in San Francisco this week, there was total chaos. (laughs) After being lit... 
the torch was ushered quickly into a warehouse where for two hours there were rumours that it had completely vanished, having been smuggled away by boat, car, bus or jet ski. And it was at this point that it started sounding like a bad James Bond film. But the bar has been raised now. As security gets tighter, people are going to have to get more imaginative to get to it. Argentina is the next stop, and any buglers that are in Argentina should mobilise now. Get thinking. Put it out. (laughs) China also planning to parade the torch through Tibet, which is really taking the piss, frankly. (laughs) That was another top story. More coming extremely soon. Thank you for listening. The latest bugle is in your pod feed right now. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.